The following is part of our ongoing mini-series investigation into the history of alien resurrection. Re-engaging Resurrection. Enjoy. So, we're a fast learner. I think you will find that uh, things have changed a great deal since your time. I doubt that. I'm not flying blind here, you know. It's the United Systems military, not some greedy corporation. Oh. Well, it won't make any difference. You're still gonna die. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I'm your host, Jane Prater, and I'm joined today by uh, my co-host, Patrick, Patrick Green. And today we are joined by our new uh, partner in crime, our what we are calling our digital lead for our, our podcast and our Facebook page and our Instagram and our group, Mike Andrews. Welcome, Mike. Hello, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show and for letting me join uh, your crew. I really Absolutely. appreciate it. Absolutely, our pleasure. So Mike is, is joining us. We did a, um, probably it's three, three weeks to maybe a month search for a new partner, uh, someone to really kind of accent us, but do their own thing, um, offer up ideas so we can be more of a team going forward. And it's really, really working. I'm sure people have noticed how active our page has been, how much attention that we're getting. A lot of that, a lot of that is in, do, in large part to what Mike has been doing. So welcome aboard and thank you. But today we're going to jump right into um, our discussion, which is essentially the pre-production slash script phase finding a director phase of Alien Resurrection. But before we start that conversation, I'm going to hand it to Patrick. <laughs> so uh, as as we brought up a couple of other places, we've, we're in the midst of doing a total revamp on our Patreon offer because we think it's a really great way to interact with you guys and to um, help bring you aboard the perfect organism boat so you know we can all sort of uh, do bigger and better things. So we did a survey. We got some great feedback from that. If you haven't filled that out yet, just go to our Facebook page. You can fill it out there. We're using that data very carefully to make sure that this sort of revamped Patreon is a better offer than ever. But before we get going, we wanted to go ahead and just recognize those of you who have already been supporting the show because we are super lucky to have you. So without further ado, uh, we got Clara Carija, Lisa Coker, Tommy Erickson, Andy Ev, Dan Ferlito, Seth Holbrook, Officer Charlie Kay, Philip Mitchell, Zachary Rice, Craig Wright, and Michael Breitling. And you guys have been seriously allowing us, we've upgraded our audio equipment, we've done in-person interviews that we wouldn't have been able to afford to do without help from you guys, uh, and we are paying for our hosting fees and our bandwidth, and we're it's, it's just been transformative. Even though we don't have that many patrons, the support we've gotten has been absolutely phenomenal. So if you're interested in joining that illustrious crew, Go to perfectorganism.com slash support um, and sign up right now. You can give, you know, if you give a minimum of $2, you can get instant access to um, an exclusive Patreon episode that just went up today. It was this tour of uh, Odd Studios with Clara. Uh, we have a lot of exclusives coming down the pipeline, so a lot to look forward to. And if you're interested, again, it's just perfectorganism.com slash support, and we will not let you down. Thank you. 
Awesome. So here we are uh, about to talk about Alien Resurrection. How are you guys feeling about that? Um, I'm very excited. I Alien Resurrection is definitely my least favorite, but after doing all this research for it and talking about it with you guys behind the scenes, I, I'm finding myself actually liking it a lot more than I used to. Really? So, yeah. What about you, Patrick? To me, Resurrection's always been sort of like a car accident. It's this thing that, like, it, you, you know is horrible and you know will result in death and chaos and, and it's, it's a bad thing. But at the same time, you can't stop looking at it as it's happening. And to me, Resurrection's always been a little bit like that. I have a personal connection from my childhood to it, which we talked about on our kickoff for this whole series. Um, but other than that, just as a film, I think it's a really flawed thing that has a lot of uh, things that are very obviously wrong with it. But I also think it's really interesting and the, as Mike just said, the more we read about it, the more we research it as we're putting the series together, the more I have really deep questions about some of the creative decisions that were made and some of the personnel choices that happened and uh, some of the decisions that led to this extremely strange and uneven, but I, I personally think pretty fascinating film coming out. I don't love it, but I'm I'm pretty interested in it. How about you? Well, I have a long history with Alien Resurrection. It's the first Alien film that I was able to see in the theater um, when I was 21. It came out. I was just, I had been a crazy Alien fan since the age of 15. Uh, I would watch Aliens every day after school, after high school, every day. And uh, so much so that my friends of my parents would, uh, when they were like, keep an eye on, you know, they don't, you don't really, people don't really watch you as a teenager, but they kind of keep an eye out on you. And they told my parents that they were concerned that I was watching this violent movie every day. Um, but it really struck a nerve. And so uh, Aliens was kind of the birth of my love for this series. Um, Alien 3 came out, and I've talked about this before on our episodes. I couldn't see it in the theaters. I was obsessed about it. I fell in absolutely in love with it. And of course, Ripley dies at the end. And then I find out that they're going to bring her back. And much like uh, I was when they announced Blomkamp's film, my excitement was through the fucking roof for uh, Alien Resurrection. And I started as like a, a and I've talked about this before, like a uh, an email zine, sort of an email. I don't know what you would call that. Um, there's a proper term for that, but I can't re- think of it that right now. But I was writing all these little articles and sending them out to all these emails that people who are subscribing and sending people gifts um, or like, pictures of whatever and it was great um and someone who was working on alien resurrection at the time her name is carrie shea she was the visual effects coordinator or supervisor actually for alien resurrection she reached out reached out to me and wanted to kind of know what fans were thinking so this is like early fox um at least early for them uh post real big internet because of course the internet was there but it wasn't what it is today nothing not even a a pale shadow of what it is today um and it was just a really really exciting time and i was working at a movie theater so i had i got posters and i got roll-up banners that were made from vinyl and i saw the film seven times in the theater i remember when the trailers came out before um i was amped and i don't really think i really realized how bad of a film it was until about three years later as i got older i just was like no this is kind of shitty (laughs) And, um, I mean, I, I was so excited about Alien Resurrection that I wrote two scripts, one based off, which w- was a direct sequel. I think I called it Alien Genesis and with 
starring Call and Ripley, and it's on our Facebook page if you guys want to read it. I kind of want to read it again. Um, and then I scrapped it because I thought it was shit, and I knew those characters were shit, and I wrote another one starring just Ripley. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of uh, the where I am coming from in terms of Alien Resurrection. And then over the years, like many of us, um, I just haven't talked about it. I think it's a dumpster fire of a film. I think I don't think there's anything redeemable about it. I think that there's some great things about it. I think uh, it's beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. I think Sigourney Weaver does a great job acting. Um, I think that there's some top-notch talent in the film. They don't give a good job in the film, but I think, uh, uh, yeah, uh, people did what they could with a, a terrible script. So that's kind of our segue into the beginnings. Haven't you been paying any attention today? Ah, the intellectual speaks. Listen, if you don't... Don't you ever shut up! Yeah, we're going to be talking about that script quite a bit. It's funny, um, just... And I know we talked about this on our series kickoff for the Resurrection stuff, but just to to remind people, because it's been a couple months... uh, I I went for like 15 years without watching this, which is crazy because we watched the the rest of the you know the, especially the original quadrilogy. You know, we watched the the first three movies all the time, and I just never watched it again because part of me I, I think because as I got older, part of me remembered this really special experience in my childhood. It was the first one that I saw in the theaters as well. It was something that I was really kind of obsessed with as a as a as an early teenager. Played the PlayStation game a lot. I was really into it, um, and then I think as I got older. Probably because it's a poorer film compared to the other ones. It just didn't really stick in my mind as much. But also, I think there was a part of me that, as I went on and developed more of an appreciation for film, I realized that there were issues with it, and I kind of didn't want to screw up my this kind of, you know, sacred childhood memory of this Alien movie. Um, so it took me a long time, and then I just watched it again for the first time in, in at least a decade, um, just a couple of months ago with my wife. And I was like really blown away by how much worse it was than I even remembered it being. But at the same time, there are things in it that I that have stuck with me that I I am really interested in talking about. So I, I really hope that throughout the arc of this series, where we're going to talk about the development and pre-production tonight, we're going to talk about the script in depth, the various revisions that they did. You know, we're going to talk about the production, the the French connection. We're going to go through all these interesting things and hopefully come out of it with maybe maybe we're not going to love it. But at least I think we can appreciate more about what went into it and uh, and, and why we got what we got. Because it is kind of an interesting movie. Yes, there's no loving it, by the way. There's just no coming back from it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll Good see. Sadness. We'll see. <laughs> Well, and I've seen, um, you know, I, Jamie, you, and I think I have even talked about the the quadrilogy as in we kind of, we talk about the, the trilogy, right? The the Ripley trilogy that we like. And then Resurrection's always the add-on, like, oh, yeah, and then also Resurrection is there. Yeah. But but there's that there's that fan base that within the fandom, like, uh, I can think Clara, you know, really loves Resurrection, um, that, that actually really enjoy this movie. And going through this series, I think it's going to be nice to have this this exploration of the genesis and the creation of it and maybe we can figure out why even though from our perspectives it's not that great we can see why people would like it and i i don't know it's going to be really fun i'm really excited and i think it's a great opportunity to for if you're listening to this right now and you are one of those people 
to scroll down in your podcatcher app, there's a, a number you can call there and an email address and, and go ahead and send a voice memo or call the number and, and let us know why you love it. And, and if it's a really, if you make a really convincing case, a really interesting one, I think we would love to have you come on an episode and do a little debate about it and, um, and, and I hopefully convince some of us to, to like it more, you know, I, I don't want to just crap on this thing. I want to investigate it. Well, I don't think it's about crapping on it. I just, uh, it's a weird thing because I don't, like, um, I can't remember, or I can't remember the, the person who said it. His first name is Guillaume. Um, he was interviewed on the Alien Resurrection um, documentary, the real big long one that was produced by Charles de Lazarica, which is awesome. Everyone should watch it. Um, he said, you know, Jean-Pierre Genet uh, didn't make an alien film. He made a French film with aliens in it. And I really agree with that. I think that that's the right, um, it's just this weird, like, ugly stepsister or ugly duckling of the series that doesn't really belong anywhere. It's just kind of on its own. And I, I, I don't think that it, like, I think comparing it to the first three and then certainly the sequels, I mean, even though I might have issues with Covenant and, the, you know, obviously I've talked about things that I love about Covenant and the things that I love about Prometheus, Alien Resurrection makes those films look like masterpieces. Um, in my mind, Alien Resurrection is so crazy wacky, it's hard to even kind of get your mind around it, you know? Oh, look. Look, beautiful, beautiful little baby. Look, it thinks you're its mother. Well, uh, I think this is a, a good segue to get into our episode tonight formally which is really the development and the pre-production because coming out of alien 3 this uh the legacy of this series was uh in a super weird state of flux kind of similar in some ways to where we are right now where there's conflicting visions on where it should go you know the reviews um were kind of all over the place for alien 3 um reviews within fandom initially were pretty low um and of course there's just been this beautiful renaissance um because i know the three of us we all love alien 3 and I, I think a lot of fans love it now but at the time people were very hurt about what happened with some of the main characters from the previous film like newton hicks there was a lot of confusion about the tone there were all these you know all of the as we've talked about extensively on previous episodes the development hell was crazy extended on alien 3 it spanned years and years and years and drafts and writer strikes and all this crazy shit. And and then suddenly coming out of that in the mid nineties, this dude from Fox, an executive named Jorge Celeri so Sarah Luigi, I mean I can't say it, Sarah Legui, um, decides that he wants to make an alien movie. So I wanna talk about this a little bit. But first I wanna point out how fascinating it is. If you try to look up Jorge Sarah Luigi Sarah, oh my god, I can't say it. Jorge Sarah Legui online, there's uh, really not very much information on him. Um, and the only thing I could find that was sort of, um, you know, at all informative was an article that came out shortly after the release of Resurrection. Actually, it was December 1st, 1997 that it came out on Variety. And, um, it's about him, uh, basically negotiating with other studios to get his own studio, his own production studio started and potentially leaving Fox and it talks about how he was instrumental in things like Speed and Independence Day and Broken Arrow and Die Hard with a Vengeance. And then it notes that he also was partly responsible for the current release, as it says, Alien Resurrection. And then there's this article about him sort of stepping down and looking for other opportunities. And that's kind of it. It says that he was a novelist turned studio executive. 
Um, but it's it's amazing to me how this guy who apparently had a huge legacy in the 90s at Fox has been sort of left behind by history. I don't, I don't really know what happened to him. I found him on Facebook, actually, and I messaged him. And he really? read it, but he hasn't responded. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Just see, I'm going to try and like follow up and say, "Hey, I do a podcast. I'd love to talk to you about Alien Resurrection." We'll get out, we'll get into that at another point. But yeah, oh, that would it's be very so interesting. Cool. Very, does, very. Does interesting. it say what he does currently? Like his, his job on there and all that stuff? No, it doesn't. Well, I need to look again. I don't really. I didn't. Okay. I think I just went straight to messaging. But he's still alive. He's, oh, he's yeah. still out there. Yeah. Um, but but anyway, so so basically, this this was his idea, and, and he's the one who approached uh, Whedon, which we're going to talk about extensively. But I guess, what are you guys' thoughts on where the studio stood after Alien Three, and, and how this, what the environment in which this thing came about might have been at the time? Well, I I have a few things here. What's interesting is now I like on Rotten Tomatoes uh, currently. The, the description includes for Alien 3 includes stuff like a thinly scripted sequel and lack of genuine thrills. And that's all the way, that's now, that's 2018. And back then, James Cameron and Michael Bean both were fairly vocal about their dislike of Alien 3. And if I'm not mistaken, Bean was paid more for his use, like the use of his photo in Alien 3 than his entirety of acting in Aliens. And he was pissed that he died and, and that they were going to treat his character like that. Um, and that's not even mentioning that Fincher disowned the film uh, and and everything that happened with it. So having and, and it's weird that this guy who we we don't really know much about was like, hey, uh, let's jumpstart Alien again. Um, and maybe the studio just needed somebody to spark it. Maybe they were too afraid to kind of give this franchise over to someone a, another type of David Fincher who they thought they could control but then they ended up having having such a hard time we have to remember too that alien 3 was had gone down in the history books and it's still being discussed in film schools in terms of the development hell and the studio interference that uh was happening on set director after director story after story or script after script rewrite after rewrite building sets rewriting the script changing sets i mean it was just, I mean, it, it kind of coined the term development hell. Alien 3 is why that term exists in many ways. Um, so, and also, Alien 3 was the first film for Fox in the Alien series to not turn a profit, really. Um, it was profitable, but not that profitable. Um, so they had kind of good incentive to say, hey, let's try and get this right again. So, well, And they, also, on, on the on the heels of Aliens, anything less than like an enormous financial success would have been, you know, pretty disappointing. Totally. Absolutely. So I, I can kind of understand Fox's desire to say, hey, let's let's try this again. Let's let's do it the right way. And, you know, again, and everyone, well, a lot of people, um, people who are fans of ours, people who are listeners, people in Alien fandom know that um, David Fincher experienced just, you know, he called it, he felt like it was, you know, he was being raped every day, which I think is an unfair uh, comparison completely. But he was traumatic for him. So I think Fox wanted to kind of write that ship and see if they could kind of conjure uh, the spirit of aliens that we see in Aliens and Alien. And I think kind of enter Joss Whedon and Alien Resurrection. And also guys... enter a whole series of bizarre uh, creative choices that we're going to get into in a second. But go ahead, Mike. Sorry about that. No, no problem. I just, before we move on, um, 
you remember in the making of resurrection video there's a quote and i don't remember who said it right at the beginning but he says i think people keep making alien movies in a way because unconsciously i'm convinced people actually are just as disappointed as i am in filmmakers inability to match the quality of the first one and yes yes I, that right there just it sums it up for me it's like this is an attempt to try and match that quality of the first one and or even the second one of course like you but like we've been saying um and here we go here's resurrection that's, that's such an intriguing thing for me and i don't know i'd love to hear what you guys think but in terms of trying to match the quality and when of course you you said that you read that quote i people have to understand when that something like that is said no one is saying we want to replicate alien no one is saying we want to replicate aliens what they're saying is we want to produce a film that matches the quality of those films the look of those films the characterization found in those films for me i don't understand what the problem is i don't understand why it's been so difficult for them the i mean I understand how studios work and that there's so many hands in the pot and not one person has control that it's just kind of, it kind of goes to, it's like a crapshoot. You either get a good movie or you don't. Um, but I am continually disappointed with the fact, and even you guys can kind of attest to this to some degree, even in terms of um, Prometheus and Covenant and certainly Alien Resurrection, that they can't produce characters on the scale of the first two slash three films and I, I i feel like it's such an not an easy thing but it, for me it's sort of a no-brainer like you get someone who's a good writer who understands the series who understands what character development is whether they're a writer director like james cameron or someone similar maybe like alex garland who loves this type of genre and you let them tell their story and that's it and i i, I just don't i don't get it Yeah, I don't get it either. I think it's something that, you know, we, we keep coming back to and something that I'm sure we'll continue to explore. But, you know, in the meantime, what I find so fascinating is that they... So you, you compare what happened before pre-production started on Resurrection with what happened before pre-production and production started on Alien 3, and it's it couldn't be more different, right? Alien 3 went through these generations of scripts and of, of completely different creative personnel and different stories and different characters being killed off in different sets and all these different things. And none of them were happening. And, and even as we talked about in our Alien 3 series, during the shoot, everything was changing. It was being swapped out and there were rewrites happening and pages being inserted and budgets falling apart and people getting Parkinson's disease and just fucking chaos. And it's, and it's basically, I, I think, miraculous that the movie that came out of it is so good. Um, and also, it's not surprising that it took people a while to warm up to it because it has a very contradictory vision. And of course... It doesn't help, as we've been saying, that David Fincher, as soon as he was done with it, basically just shat all over it every chance he got. But, you know, he was a 27-year-old prodigy who had been completely, you know, reamed out by the studio. And um, I, I can understand why he was upset. But it's a little bit, I, I think that was a little deleterious to the immediate impact of that film in terms of, you know, criticism. But anyway, all that all that aside, you have that for the film before Resurrection in this series. And then you have Resurrection come out where basically just one VP of production decides that he wants to get this alien movie made. And he just decides to go with, with Joss Whedon, who at that time 
like he was a script doctor on a few things. Uh, like he worked actually. Oh wait a minute, I just thought about something. So he actually Toy was Story a was doctor. a big one. Well, well, he did. Yeah, but that was later. I oh, know that wasn't later. Right, that no, was, it wasn't later. It's around yeah, the same was, time the first one came out. Yeah, so that was did, right uh, around the same time. Like and he, he didn't on write speed. it. He just, Yes, he, was. he wasn't well, on speed, but he worked. He worked on speed. <laughs> he might. Well, well, that's actually what I was about to say is that he was a script doctor on Speed, and Speed was produced at least in some part by Jorge Saralegui. So mm-hmm. that that would make a lot of sense for why he found him. But you know, the big thing that that uh, I mean, Whedon was about to explode because he had written Buffy, um, and the, the film treatment of the TV series so that would eventually. Um, oh no! No, sorry. No, he had just finished the film version of it, and the TV show had already been running. And so he was about to become like a, a name in the industry. And they probably were going with the fact, that, you know, Cameron was quite young when he when he did Aliens, you know, uh, that uh, and obviously David Fincher was very young, although he didn't write the script. Although, you know, he helped with it. But they probably thought, like, we'll get some sort of young, fresh sci fi talent. So I think on paper, I totally think that Joss Whedon was a was a great idea, you know, as, in terms of taking kind of a shot in the dark and going on a on a taking sort of a, a big chance. Um but it's funny that they would decide to basically just give Sarlagui all the you know money in the world essentially to go make this movie with this unproven scriptwriter, who um, and not having Sigourney Weaver on board yet, not having anything buttoned down, not even having really a story, just having an idea that they were going to incorporate Newt. Um, I mean, it was just so strange the, the the way that the wheels got turning on this, and also so weirdly easy compared to the previous film. Yeah, um, and I, even the setup for this though is it's a little bit different than the setup for the first two, where when it, we we've discussed this a little bit before with Alien, you had Dan O'Bannon and Ron Chessett. Um, they had a story that they wanted to tell, and they had a script, and they sold the script, and it was rewritten, but it's their story. And then you have James Cameron, who was kind of pitched the idea. He had a script that was had some similar ideas of what they wanted to do with an Alien film, much like Aliens. The sequel that they wanted to do with Alien, they didn't want to include Sigourney Weaver right away, but then they changed their mind. And so James Cameron um, brought Sigourney Weaver, or her character, the character of Ripley, back. And then, of course, fast forward to Alien Resurrection, skipping over Alien 3 for a minute. Um, it's the studio again saying, well, let's make another Alien film. It's not, you don't have a shepherd over it. You have someone say, well, let's make another Alien film. What's your idea? Well, let's get a writer. Um, it's corporate, it's a corporate system making a film big red flag right away yeah it feels a little similar to um kind of how marvel films are are made in a way where they they get a director they might get an indie director of some kind they even had um the guy who did uh baby driver right um oh i can't remember his name but he he was doing ant-man and then they didn't do it the way that they wanted him to so they kicked him out yeah Um, edgar wright right thank you yeah edgar wright um, it kind of reminds me of that, and, and this guy, uh, sorry, sorry, Lakewe, you know, he's talking about how how Whedon has like he's convinced us that he could write action, and he could uh, he proved it with speed. So so then we gave him Alien, and and you know Whedon Whedon has a bit of a, a, a an interesting sense of humor too. So like he said, um, I think the studio looked at Buffy in that spec script and figured, okay, he can write chicks in action. Let's talk to him about Alien, and I. You know, it's hard to pinpoint if he's actually serious or not. I don't think he's being that serious. So when we talk about Whedon, it's kind of nice. Well, it's not nice. It's hard. It's difficult to to truly understand him sometimes. Where he's very serious one moment and 
sometimes he just deadpans something and says something like that where you're like, Ugh, that's a little worrying. Right, right. And I actually, I, I want to, um, as, as we move through this section, I want to I read a little bit of one of the script drafts that I think really uh, says exactly what you're talking about, where it's like he's doing something that could be profound, and then he just does ex- extremely juvenile humor and it kind of screws it up. That being said, he was basically a juvenile when he wrote the script of this because he was in his 20s. I mean, it's just it's just amazing to me that they would take that huge of a chance on him. Um, of course, you know, Whedon said what everybody says when they get offered an alien you know, job, which is that he was a lifelong fan of the series and, you know, he was really nervous about it and, and he wanted to be a part of it. Um, so, like, you know, it's, it seemed like his heart was in the right place, but but just aesthetically, there was not a match in my mind. Jesus Christ, John, what do you put in this shit? Battery acid? Just for color. So anyway, so they were off and running at this point, and Whedon was writing these script treatments based on largely input from Jorge Saralewi, uh, who w- wanted another female lead. And so the first whole iteration of this thing was this 30-page treatment that had Newt coming back as an adult clone, uh, which is kind of, it's like, what? But anyway, so they wrote this, and the studio actually actually liked it a lot, but they wanted Ripley back. So I, I, immediately, this is exactly what Jamie was talking about, where the studio kind of has an idea of what it really wants, and it's like, you can you can try to like convince us otherwise, but we're going to get what we want because we're bankrolling it. So, of course, they, they get their way, and now he starts completely redoing this whole thing with Ripley coming back. Um, against everybody's wishes, basically, as a clone, which, of course, was suggested by Guyler and Hill, who, as you can see very clearly on Charles de Lazarica's um, special features on the Quadrilogy, were not exactly thrilled with this scenario. And they, they basically have functionally disowned it at this point as something that they had input into. Although it's funny that it was actually their idea to clone her. But they were they were looking for all these ways to kind of shoehorn Ripley back into the script. And, of course, Sigourney Weaver was not interested in this uh, until she got an executive producer credit and also um, found things in the script that she was interested in, supposedly, and uh, got brought back in. But anyway, just going back to the script for a second, I wanted to read a little passage from what is, I believe, so let's see. So this is the second revision of Whedon's script after they decided to clone Ripley. So so this is not from the original treatment with Newt, and it's not from the first draft, which is kind of all over the place. This is after he's kind of starting to hone it closer to what we see. So this was this is dated July 22nd, 1996, which uh, is, oh, that's crazy. That's like almost exactly uh, 22 years ago. Holy shit, I'm getting old. Um Anyway, so so here's the this is the intro, and you can actually watch this because in the special edition of of Resurrection, which you can find in that same uh, quadrilogy set, and also on YouTube, we actually link to this from our website. Uh, I want to read you this just the beginning of this in the script because I think it illustrates exactly what Mike was just talking about, where Whedon has he's obviously a talented dude, right? Like he can obviously write a good script. He has an idea of uh, how to do good storytelling, but to my mind, he kind of ruins it with these juvenile things so so here's the very beginning of the second version of the script as it appears in the special edition extreme close-up an eye not human not nice blinking balefully at us the camera moves back as the creature moves its head huge sharp teeth coming into frame the camera continues to move back giving us a clear view of the entire beast just as an enormous finger squashes it 
and still we pull back to show a soldier sitting bored in a sterile room, sterile, 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 uh, sucking down the gurgled end of a Slurpee as he contemplates the squishy insect mess on his fingertip. He takes the straw, sticks the bug in one end, and puts the other in his mouth. We're still moving back, and he blows the insect right at us. It splatters on the window as we move back to reveal him framed in the window, to reveal the ship in the window that he's in, blah, 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 and all of a sudden we're in deep space, and we find out that this is the Origa, which we'll talk about momentarily, and that, and then it goes straight away to this scene among wheat, which we can talk about separately momentarily. But anyway, so, so that's how he wanted to open this movie. So on one level, there is something really interesting about showing scale and showing removal. I mean, this is a, it's a big film. The Auriga is a big ship. Uh, this takes place, you know, 200 years, basically after the events that we left things off with Alien 3. It's a big movie. Like there's a lot going on and there's something nice about showing the scale with this sort of, um, you know, this, this like outward moving shot, this giant tracking shot with these CG composites going on. But also it's ruined by the fact that it's just gross. Like he's just, he squashes this bug. He like fucking blows it at the window with a straw. Like you picture him like scratching his balls and farting into the microphone or something. And it's just, it's just, it's just gross. And right away it sets this tone of like, oh, I don't give a shit about, you know, like it's it's sort of like this like Gen X alien film where, although I guess Alien 3 was, which we've talked about. But in, in this one, it's it's sort of like, you know, like, oh, we don't need, like, authority. Like, we don't need to, like, pay attention to the things that came before. Like, fuck that. I'm going to step on this bug and we're going to make our own. But it's just, it just to me reads, like, very dated and very juvenile. Yeah, I would agree with the tone. I think it's, it's just a strange, that, that scene has no, does nothing. It, it, it doesn't open up a plot. It does nothing. It's ridiculous. I mean, I know even in the so-called director's cut, uh, of Alien Resurrection, they put that scene in. The the, the digital uh, effects for that scene aren't the best, but they make the bug, and it's essentially a version of that same scene, and it opens with it, and it's awful. It's just awful. Um, but to the point about uh, Joss Whedon, and he makes this comment in uh, an interview on that documentary, and he's talking about... Um, He's talking about writing Ripley and the difficulty of bringing her back and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, you know, I was a little bit afraid. You know, I was kind of hoping that she would say that she wouldn't say, you know, can you make me pretty? And can you give her a puppy? And when I I'm sure I've heard him say that before because I've seen those documentaries many times. But when I just watched it again, I was horrified. And I know that he was young, but I'm thinking, wait a minute. You say you're a fan of these films. You say you're a fan of Alien, you're a fan of Aliens, you grew up with them, and this is what you think Sigourney Weaver would say that what she would want about Ripley? Like, seriously? Like, right away I knew this guy was all wrong. He was all wrong. Like, he should have, he should have been, it was just a, it was just a dumb thing for him to say in an interview. And it made me think, of course. And of course, Ripley didn't do anything in the script because, or in the film because he didn't know what to do with her. So I have, I have bone to pick with him right away. Yeah, and Whedon um, even says that, uh, at least in the, the Making of documentary, the soul of Alien Resurrection is discovering what she what she is, Ripley. Uh, and what works in Alien Resurrection works because of her. Um, and it just it doesn't really show. I mean, Ripley's an interesting character in this, and I I get why they wanted to bring her back. She's like the, the keeper of the flame, so to speak, of the whole franchise. But in this way, it just seems odd and and tonally deaf yeah it's just it's just super weird and i i I, it's not like i don't respect wanting to take things in a in a new direction 
I think that if it's done really tactfully and with respect for the what came before, you know, that's one thing. But to be fair, if you look at the actual render of that alternate opening, they very clearly are they're trying to fool you into thinking that you're looking at a xenomorph in the very beginning, baring its teeth, and then it turns out that it's just the bug's head. And then it gets squashed, and it, and it just it just comes across to me like just so disrespectful. Like you know, we're gonna we're gonna squash the bug that you know and show you something new. If they had done something that had like a true artistic impetus behind it and had really something genuine to say, and they had done that, then maybe you know what? Then fucking bring it on. Do something brave right at the beginning of the movie and, and show me something novel. But unfortunately, the movie doesn't doesn't really pan out like that. Anyway, so so Whedon, you know, is 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 rewriting this thing over and over again, and uh, he decides to set this thing basically 200 years after the end of Alien Three, on this thing, and the Origa, uh, which is the United Systems military because it's post Whalen Yutani, and uh, the whole thing revolves around cloning Ripley and removing the Queen from her body. So Sigourney Weaver says that she was excited by the idea of coming back part Alien because it would be a unique acting challenge. But I, I, I personally can't imagine that that was really a natural progression for her, that, 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 she, that she was uninterested in it. After having what is perhaps my favorite ending of any film in the history of movies in the end of Alien 3, I, I, I truly can't think of a better ending to a film than that. And then having her <laughs> decide to come back a few years later as this like cloned, basketball-playing, you know, pseudo-alien, um, I just can't imagine that. But that being said, I'm not going to, you know, disbelieve my fucking screen hero you know i'm not going to say that she did it just for the money but i'm sure being an executive producer had had something to do with it well i wanted to talk about that for a minute um and kind of concede a point that you have made in many of discussions that we've had about blomkamp about ripley's arc um and about the the why the kind of the question like why would you bring ripley back what's the point her story arc is over and that's been a point of contention and a point of discussion for all of us, as I'm, I'm sure we'll continue talking about, depending on whatever reveals itself in the next few months in terms of where they're going with the series. Um, but you had said to me, Patrick, that, again, you felt like Ripley's story, her story arc was over. And I, I think that that is no better. It's no better on display than it is in Alien Resurrection. She was brought back to do nothing. She was absolutely useless. They brought Ripley back, even though she was a little bit different. She wasn't the Ripley that we know. She was a clone of her with all of her memories, whatever. It was unnecessary. It wasn't needed. And it was a cardinal sin. And again, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I'll always say it. The worst thing that Alien Resurrection did was to bring this amazing character back and have her do nothing. And it's not to say that she needed to do the same thing she did in her and her other version, her original version, her, her sister's version, or whatever. Um, she just did nothing. She was a byproduct. She was useless. And uh, I, aside, everything aside, as we will discuss directors and get into many other things, if your star is useless, if the main star of your film that you're bringing back has nothing to do, you don't have a film. Exactly. Um, I, I guess so. So moving on to what you were just mentioning with the director, uh, we they, they went through a whole rotation of different potential people. So it's funny that they basically went to Joss Whedon immediately, uh, and then and then they went through about four thousand different scripts, and then all of a sudden they <laughs> all of a sudden they were back exactly where they were with Alien Three, where they're like, okay, what is this actual movie going to be? We changed protagonists. We've changed basically everything about it. 
um, and we also don't have a director yet. So one of the first people that was approached was Danny Boyle, um, who I think would have been an absolutely amazing director for this, uh, evidenced no more clearly than what he did with Sunshine, which came out you know maybe about 10 years ago, and I, th- I think is just one of the great sci-fi films of, of the early part of this century. I just absolutely love that movie. Um, but he had scheduling conflicts, um, and, uh, it didn't end up working out, you know, and of course he's since won an Academy Award for Slumdog Millionaire, directed Train Spotting, done, you know, fucking amazing, amazing work. So that didn't work out. Um, and there were some others, if you guys want to bring them up that were in the, in the mix. Yeah. Um, I, I learned, well, Peter Jackson, there's a, there's a brief thought that maybe he would direct it. Um, I thought the two that I found most interesting, uh, Brian Singer was considered, for a while, and you know, people know him from man. He's been he's been directing X Men since the first one. I'm pretty sure. So that's 18 years of that. And then uh, David Cronenberg, which um, of course the master of body horror and The Fly and and everything. Um, I just I I think that would have been really cool if they had if they had gone that direction. But um, we kind of get some of that with with who ended up being being the the chosen director. Well, I think Cronenberg would have been super scary. I, I, I'm a huge fan of his work as well, and I, I think you're absolutely right with the body horror angle. That would have been really interesting. It, it just would have been such a fundamentally different thing than what, what we ended up getting. Have you guys seen any of Peter Jackson's <laughs> Jackson, uh, any of Peter Jackson's early work, like uh, like Bad Taste? Um, oh, what's uh, that really violent zombie one that's kind of funny? Well, that, that's the, that's it. Yeah, is that the Frighteners? No, no. Okay. No, he did the brain, There's brain dead. There's yeah. brain, brain dead or something. Yeah, yeah, brain, yeah, brain. Uh, wait, was, yeah, he's de- yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's dead alive in the U.S., but everywhere else was brain dead. That's um, right. It's like it's it's fucking. They're crazy, crazy movies um, that are like very much like you know splatter and blood and gore, and uh, and I I think that they would have been horrible. Um, that that would have been a really bad alien film because I think he might have focused way too hard at that point in his career on the sort of just just the gore and not necessarily the storytelling. That being said, he's an immensely gifted filmmaker, so he could have pulled something pretty amazing out. But that's that's somebody who I don't think. Whereas Cronenberg and Danny Boyle to me are like obvious choices, not quite as obvious as Alex Garland would be, but pretty obvious choices. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't really picture a Peter Jackson treatment of it. I keep saying Jackson. Jackson. Um, Peter Sean Jackson Sean and, and Sarah Lagalagalagalagui. <laughs> I don't know anybody's name tonight. I think it's important to note, though, that during this time, the whole build-up, search for the writer, director, Fox really learned their lesson from Alien 3. They knew how devastating it was to everyone involved, especially David Fincher, and they were really trying to, and they did, um, make it an easier process. They had one writer. Um, I think there was another writer who did some work towards the end. I can't, his name slips me right now. Um, he would be an interesting t- person to talk to. Um, but they were trying to streamline it and make it not this this really uh, disturbing experience that it was for David Fincher and everybody involved in the original and Vincent Ward and all the 1,500 people that they they tried to get to make that uh, make Alien 3 or change their mind on halfway through. And so that was kind of the setup. They really wanted to kind of make Alien Resurrection um, a, a more uh, a, a more typical uh, corporate or studio picture. And they they succeeded in that way and in that attempt in many ways. Yeah, which is so weird because you get 
somebody as young as Joss Whedon and you get a, a crazy French director who has never made a Hollywood movie before, which we'll, we'll be talking about a lot. Um, and it, it just, and Sigourney Weaver's back and there's all these other people like Ron Perlman and, and Winona Ryder. It's just, it's such a strange conglomeration of different elements. Uh, and, and then there you have it. You have Alien Resurrection from that. And such a strange conglomeration of different cultural backgrounds and cultural norms and working styles and crews and languages. So segueing into what actually ended up happening. So, you know, so Danny Boyle turned it down. Um, other people that were approached were supposedly Guillermo del Toro, who, of course, would be a really fascinating decision, I think. But basically, Fox saw City of Lost Children and Delicatessen, and they decided to go with Jean-Pierre Jeunet, who was just a black comedy, French surreal, semi-surrealist art house director with a really strong visual style, like a very strong visual style, um, kind of in the vein, to my mind, of sort of Terry Gilliam, uh, who actually, as, as we're recording this, has just been talking shit about Alien very publicly, Mr. Yeah. Gilliam. That's okay. You know, I, he's, he's, done, he's done some pretty good work. I'm going to give him a pass on that. But, but basically, as much, most... much trouble he's had on Don Quixote, I'm shocked that he would throw shade. Like, come on, man. Like, you've been trying to get a movie made for years. Like, like you know. why don't you not, not throw shade at anyone and get your movie made and be gracious and kind? It's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand. It, it is crazy. But I think it's worth pointing out that they went with Jean-Pierre Genet while they were also still in talks with Peter Jackson and Dra- – I still saying Jackson – with Peter Jackson and David Cronenberg. They, they weren't even off the off the potential project list yet. Um, and for some reason, they saw something in Jean-Pierre Genet that they, that they really liked. But what's crazy is that Jean-Pierre Genet, as we're going to talk about, didn't even want to do this at first. And he was sort of confused about why they would even you know have him on here. And there's a, a great quote in here. Uh, I'm right now. I'm looking at some of the pages from the the archive book that Titan put out a few years ago, and uh, and I'll just read this for you briefly. Basically, he says, "This is Jean Pierre Genet." Says uh, Mark Caro and I were making a short film when uh, when Alien came out, and we were fascinated by it. But to be sincere, I saw the second one and the third one, and I thought, "Why is it necessary to make a sequel?" I thought it was a mistake. So when they called me, I thought it was another mistake. But I was curious to go to Hollywood, to see the people, to see the studio. I thought, I don't speak English. They don't want me. Um, and then, of course, he flew, and the rest is, is history. So you have a, a, a screenwriter who has butchered his initial vision beyond you know, recognition, a studio who is uh, basically making all these kind of bizarre demands and going with this art house director from outside the studio system with no proven pedigree in science fiction and a very strong creative voice of his own that didn't necessarily gel with what they had seen from alien before. And they choose him to do it. And he flies to LA, not really wanting to and thinking that this is basically a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before I can, I continue that thread really quick. I just want to mention one thing in relationship to the script. Sigourney Weaver says in in interviews, and everyone knows how much I love Sigourney Weaver. Uh, this is just, uh, an, in my opinion, an objective look at her approach to the script. Sigourney Weaver loved the script because of what her character, how her character was written. And she thought it was new and it was different. I think that number one, as, as, a, as a co-producer, that was kind of number one number, is the problem. You shouldn't just be looking at what you are doing in the script, which I don't even know what she saw because she wasn't doing much. Um, 
you should be thinking, is this a good script? And I think uh, it points to this larger issue that I see that a lot of these people who make these films, they don't know what a good script is. It's these people who are embroiled and live in these circles of filmmakers and everyone's writing or, or studios are having this person write that and this person write that and they're farming this out and farming that out. I think they lose they lose objectivity. They lose the sense of, well, what is art? What, you know, the art of the original film, the art of aliens that, that James Cameron um wrote and even alien three and how david uh, walter hill and david guyler really conjured the soul of who ripley was and the setting of that of 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 the of the universe they conjured it um, and i so, think it's important to note that that they basically saved that movie that that they absolutely. came in and, and and that if you look as we did on our script episode in alien three like they're all over every page of that thing with inserts and rewrites and fixing characterizations and continuity issues because they'd been with the series for so long and they had such respect for it, and they're very talented at what they do. And they took this Frankenstein script that had been ripped apart and you know, from the Tui script and the Red script and of course the Ward script, and then this this Fincher sort of Fincherization of it, and they it, as they were shooting, basically fixed it into something that felt like a really cohesive artistic voice. And so the fact that they basically removed themselves from resurrection as soon as the cloning thing went forward, I think says quite a lot about their trust in it. Absolutely. And there's a reason why Alien 3 feels a lot like the original film. There's a reason why tonally it feels they feel similar. Because you have the writers, essentially, from the original, they rewrote the script from uh, Dan O'Bannon and Ron Shusset, and they rewrote Vincent Ward's script and elements of other people, like David Toohey and other people. And they rewrote it, and they knew who Ripley was, they knew the universe that they were working in, and they did a bang-up job of it. I mean, it was really, really amazing. I mean, of course, there are people who don't like what happened in Alien 3. They don't like Alien 3 for some of the decisions that it made. But most people, and I've said this before as well, most people don't think that Alien 3 is a bad film. They just don't like the decisions that were made in it in terms of character. Um, so I, 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 a roundabout way of saying I, I think a lot of the – some of the onus – of why resurrection is the way it is is on Sigourney Weaver and and Winona Ryder and I, I don't think that they knew what a good script was and uh, and we have what we have there um, jumping forward to talking about Genet um, a little bit of a side actually met Jean Pierre Genet when I used to work for Apple in um, Los Angeles I Amelie had just come out not too long before he was my favorite director for a long 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 time Delicatessen City of Lost Children a very long engagement. Um, you know, he's just got a, an incredible body of work and I knew what he looked like. And of course, Alien Resurrection, which I followed without stopping. So one day I'm working at Apple and he comes in and I walk right up to him. I said, you're Jean-Pierre Genet. And he's like, yes, I am. Um, <laughs> and he was clear, clearly embarrassed or not embarrassed, but I don't think he realized that he, people knew what he looked like. And I got to speak with him for a few minutes and I told him how much I loved his work. And he was so kind and so nice. Um, and it was a really, really, really a dream come true. That being said, um, based off of some of the documentation that you provided, Mike, uh, those pages from that book, I, is it the, no, it's not the vault. What That's the archive. The, the, the archive. archive. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Jean-Pierre Genet, you know, he's quoted in there saying, you know, I, I had to look at all these other big Hollywood films to see what they were doing, similar camera setups because I know people wanted to see this. And so he replicated that. And then he was like, 
that 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 one scene where uh, Michael Wincott's character um, gets killed. He's like, I needed, you know, American audiences love this kind of scare, so I needed to do that. Um, but he didn't even really, want to do it, right? Like he, he, he didn't say he, he doesn't. He didn't like scary movies or something, right? Totally. And I was reading these, you know, and I feel like I know almost all there is to know about Alien Resurrection, and I, I don't. Obviously, I'm learning more things every day. But when I read those quotes, my jaw was on the floor, like just. <laughs> Uh, just feeling insulted, like, what the fuck are you doing directing an alien film if you don't know, like, and everyone's talking about, let's do something different, let's let's do something different. They did nothing different. The only thing different was the cloning scene. They tried to replicate everything, whether it was Marines, colonial Marines, or um, the camaraderie from Alien that's on a ship called Father instead of Mother. All they did is rehash old ideas, except for the cloning part. It was just it, there was nothing new about it, and I and I'm pretty um, flabbergasted that Jean-Pierre Genet made a film he didn't want to make and he didn't didn't think needed to be made, and he made it anyways. I just don't get it. And I, I do think it's important to just echo what you said that the the amount of complaining that we do about his direction on this project is not a reflection of our opinion of him as a filmmaker because his other movies have been stunning. Um, and I was I was a fan of his basically right around the time that I found out as a kid that he was doing Resurrection and I got some stuff from the video store, like Delicatessen, I, I remember very uh, distinctly, and I was just totally blown away by it. Um, then Amelie, of course, came out. So, so he's somebody that I think we have a tremendous amount of respect for. And I think that gets at something that we're going to be talking about as the series goes on, which is that a lot of the people involved with it are people that we have very deep respect for in other projects they've been involved in, whether it be the cinematography or the, the ensemble cast, I mean, th there's a lot going for this film, but uh, for some reason the parts don't quite come together and, and work right. Um, getting back to Genet, uh, he, it's interesting that he was, he says that he was hired because Fox wanted him to do something strange and different, um, which yeah. is, you know, what we would think, right? Um, and then what, what ended up happening, of course, is that he starts working in this, in this studio system and those different strangenesses get kind of stripped away from him as it goes on. Yeah. And he says he's eager to craft, he was like eager to craft the best Hollywood movie that he could. So. Jamie, like I think you were reading this and just aghast at what was happening. So he was taking basically cliches so he could put them in to make a good Hollywood movie, right? Yeah, and he approached it like, oh, this is a big Hollywood movie, when in fact the first Alien film wasn't a Hollywood movie. I mean, they had interference with the Hollywood system, Alien 3, and if anything, in Aliens, Fox was like, okay, here's James Cameron, he has a story to tell, let's let him tell it. And they let him do it. Like, he approached it like, oh, it's this big Hollywood film. And I guess to him, in his mind, it was. It's a completely I, different I system think, I, than I the French within, system. I get it. But but also, but within Alien, the, within the saga, though, it, it was like the prototypical Hollywood film because it had the biggest budget. It was the first one that was shot in the United States on the Fox backlot. Um, and in a lot of ways, it really was the most, I mean, it, it it came out of a studio executive asking a young American screenwriter to do this thing. It really, it really felt in a lot of ways like the most sort of Hollywood of, of any of them. 
Um, and it's it's funny that you know that Hollywood hired basically the most idiosyncratic director they could find to make this to make this film. Yes, I, I would. I, again, I would completely agree. And I think uh, this points. What's happening with resurrection? I think really points to a larger issue that I think a lot of us have. And I know, and I, this is a, an episode about resurrection, but um, when art becomes commodity, when art becomes commerce, it ceases being art. And Alien, they were trying to make it profitable again. And I know that they wanted a good film. I know that the studio really wanted a good film that people could connect with. But that's not how you make art. Now, sometimes in some situations, like for instance with Star Wars, you had George Lucas kind of fighting with Fox back then, fighting for his vision, fighting for Final Cut, and what you have was this beautiful film that that um, that came from all of that, that, that struggle. Same with Alien 3, same with Blade Runner. I mean, we all know how much struggle was involved to get Blade Runner to where it is today, where you have a final cut without the voiceover, and it's amazing. Um, but the issue that's been plaguing Alien since Alien 3 um, is a lack of connection, a lack of the studio system and people involved in the studio system like Ridley Scott today, not understanding what people connect to, um, and not, or I should say what enough people connect to, to make a really substantially successful film. And Alien Resurrection is again, case in point, um, where bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And no one really knew except for uh, David Geiler or Walter Hill, they knew that that script was shit. They knew it was, but they, they weren't in control. So they kind of had to let it happen. And what happened, they, pre they predicted happened. It ruined the series. You, you touch on a good point too, Jamie, um, that, that this, kind, this struggle when you're making a movie, something like Alien 3 and Blade Runner, that, that gives you a product that has been built with literal sweat and tears and anger and sadness and happiness and all this stuff. And when, when you don't have that difficulty, and this isn't all the time, but in these big Hollywood movies like Alien Resurrection, it, there isn't that creative struggle. It was pretty straightforward as we've been, we've been talking about. It, it comes off as, as just like, here's, a, here's something, you know, here's something that we didn't really struggle as hard to make. You look at the modern Star Wars, at least uh, Force Awakens and Rogue One, all the behind the scenes on those is how, how great everybody got along together and how simple it was to get you know we got the story we got all the creativity it's all dandy over here and you don't you don't see that struggle i'm not saying that these movies didn't have any of that but you know the the making of alien 3 and blade runner all the behind the scenes stuff is just it's almost miserable it makes you kind of sad watching it but you get such a good product out of out of the struggle that, that uh those movies had you can and, and but sometimes it can backfire but it, i i totally agree that sometimes conflict conflict can be like a crucible for truth that sometimes you can get really um, extraordinary things out of limitations you know whether that be budget or creative ability or time I mean but the, the reality is is that the, the fundamental problem I think with filmmaking in you know a Hollywood scenario is that you have something that has to be put out as a commercial product on some level if it's a major studio release um yeah, we're, we're, I mean, something like Amelie, for example, like that was put out by, you know, an independent sub-studio that, you know, th that, that it was okay if that wasn't a huge hit. 
And because of that, I think Genet had a lot more freedom to do what he wanted to do. But the reality is that Alien had a giant, Resurrection had a giant budget. It was part of this big legacy of things. There were very many cooks in the kitchen. And, uh, and what ended up happening was just sort of, you know, diluted, I think, quite a bit um, and kind of just a, a, a strange mess. Um, and it's, it's just, you know, there will always be the struggle in the studio system of creating art that also happens to turn a profit. And, you know, I think we all really applaud when studios take difficult decisions on things and they choose to make films like Blade Runner 2049 that they know won't necessarily be a mega hit, but they do it out of a sense of like legacy and stewardship of a historical, you know, um, franchise of something that needs to happen from an artistic impetus. And they get a really good, you know, director and they get the team together and they and they kind of make it happen. I think uh, that that's pretty rare. I think it's pretty rare that you have a major studio like Warner Brothers or like Fox decide to put a lot of time and money in, into something without necessarily the goal being turning a large profit, but basically just to get something artistic that's representative and becomes part of a legacy out. Um, you know, and I, I, I think as we go on in the series, we're going to come to more realizations about why what happened happened. Um, and also focus on things like, you know, the production design and the music and a lot of other things that are, I think, really interesting in this film, too. So uh, I, I'm, I personally can't wait to continue the series with you guys. Um, I feel like that's a good place, for at least for what I wanted to talk about, to wrap. But if you guys have anything else you want to add, feel free. Yeah, Jamie, if you have anything else, I think I've, I've said what I wanted to say. No, I, I agree. I think that that's a really good place. There is so much more to kind of um, dive into in terms of uh, Jean-Pierre Genet's uh, Filmmaking partner, Mark Caro, he was aboard, talking about all of that, just kind of some of the behind-the-scenes things happening during production, who they hired, the actors. There's so much more to talk about. I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, being there during those days and following the film, um, and I have the book, The Making of Alien Resurrection, which I fucking love, um, and having awesome. been to Studio ADI and came, you know, got to stand right next to many of those props, uh, it's it's great to kind of relive this and uh, go over it and uh, discuss why it didn't work in some in some places it did um, and and but, to discuss the fact that I mean, it's part of our shared history you know it, it's like you yes. said before it's it's the it's the ugly duckling of this franchise it's something that we don't really talk about very frequently and having an extended opportunity to do a long form investigation and to do interviews and to follow up on things and to learn about this part of this very mixed legacy that we have, I think is really uh, important. So I, I'm, I'm really proud and excited that we get the chance to do that, you know? Absolutely. And uh, before we go, I just want to ask you, Mike, um, what was your first Alien film? What did you, where, did, was it Prometheus? Was it Alien Resurrection? And uh, what, what sparked that love for you for the series? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple threads to this. So when I was young, my dad, uh, well, we had, a, we had like a movie theater, a home theater, right, um, uh, in our house. And uh, he screened Alien for me. Um, and I, I got freaked out when they took off Kane's helmet uh, and the, the face I was there. It was so real and it, it, was, it was just horrible. But um, not, not too long after that, I went back to it and I, I fell in love. Um, uh, and I, I hadn't watched the ones after that. What, what really got me going um, was uh, the Alien vs. Predator movie. I didn't see that in theater in theaters, but um, I, I love the xenomorph itself back when I was younger, like just the creature. I didn't really care too much about characters at that point. <clears throat> so that, that was something really special to me, and I would draw xenomorphs 
at school and I put them in comics and stuff and it, it was really important to me. Um, nowadays though, the first Alien film I saw in, in theaters was Prometheus and I think that's dictated a lot of my views on the franchise. Um, it, it kind of like Patrick, what you were saying with Resurrection, you, you didn't want to ruin that, that, that ideal childhood memory. I kind of feel like that about Prometheus where, yeah, okay, I know it's flawed, but oh man, I, I can't help but love it and, and that the memories associated with it. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I'm 22. Uh, I, I didn't grow up with aliens. I didn't grow up with any of them really uh, in the way that other people have, but um, I'm just happy that they're still making them and that we can talk about them like this as fans and uh, passionate advocates of the series. So yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, we are super excited and honored that you have joined the team. Um, yes. you know, it, it took a long time to, to find you. We, we had some amazing applications come in and did a lot of interviews with a lot of, of really great listeners. Um, and it was a long process and one that we were really excited to take part in. And, uh, and we really lucked out because you're doing an awesome job and you will be on many more times. So uh, we're, we're super excited to have you. Um, I have one more thing that I want to throw out before we close. I'm looking at our numbers right now, and we are currently at 99,445 downloads, which means that when we, when this episode gets published, it's going to push us over 100,000. Um, and I just want to just take a moment to um, to thank everybody who listens to the show and supports us, and to thank especially Jamie for bringing me on board about a year ago. Um, it's been a life-changing thing for me. Uh, in, in many ways, um, but you know, not the least of which is the fact that I'm getting here to sit here and talk with two good friends about the most important movies to me in my entire life, and sitting here staring at a countdown ticker to when we're about to hit a hundred thousand downloads on this project. It's just you know, it's one of those moments where you sort of realize how lucky you are. Let alone the fact that I bumped into Alex White <laughs> last night and got to talk about the Cold Forge. Um, you know, purely because I just happened to to be affiliated with the show and we had just done that episode on it and I met him through that. And it's just a life is crazy and beautiful and it's it's an honor to share the ride with you guys and with all of you listening to this. So I just want to thank you all for that. Absolutely, it's a pleasure for me. I'm so glad to have Mike. I mean, again, uh, your posting, your your engagement has been amazing. Patrick and I was we're talking about that today, and I'm excited about our our the future for Perfect Organism and future shows. So thank you guys. Yeah, have a good night, everybody. For more on this and our other projects, please visit www.perfectorganism.com. If you'd like to join the conversation, find us on our closed Facebook group, Building Better Worlds. To support the show, please consider visiting www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. We've got some great perks available. And as always, please consider rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. We can't tell you how much your support means to us, but we can hopefully show you by continuing to provide better, more ambitious, and more dynamic content for years to come.